sulky, over funky, kinda hulky superhero. A two-fisted and electrically transistored superhero. An exotically erotic and aquatic superhero. The Marvel superheroes have arrived. Superpowered from the forehead to the toes. Watch them change their very shape before you know. Striking superhero, change to Viking superhero, a humping and real swing and shield, flinging superhero, they're the latest, they're the greatest, ultimate superheroes, the Marvel superheroes have arrived. Hello, divers. Coming to you from the world's only fully automated hypnotherapy practice, this is the Deep Dive Microcast. I'm Tom Feeney, raconteur, collector of in-action figures, and writer for Wangstop Movie Magazine, available on Amazon.com. This is a companion series of the Deep Dive Podcast, where myself and my co-host Manda look at the lesser-known and perhaps forgotten offerings available on streaming media. On this microcast, we'll dive into the history of Marvel movies before Iron Man. Why were they usually so awful? How did they ultimately get better? Well, grab your shield, magic hammer, or web shooters and get ready for this edition of the Deep Dive Microcast. Marvel, the comic book company, has been around for over 80 years in one form or another. The passing of Stan Lee in 2018 cut the final thread that connected the entire history of Marvel together. The company has had more than its share of struggles in its near century of existence. In the early days when the company was all about getting comics onto newsstands, things like paper shortages, government interference in their content, and even the fickle tastes of comic book readers, kept Marvel in a constant state of near death. The company's fortunes began to change in 1961, when Stan Lee, after years of toiling away on cookie-cutter material for the comics, took it upon himself to write something that he himself would want to read. Characters with real problems, not unrelatable gods in capes. And the Marvel Universe was born. Before the end of the 60s, Marvel's comic book sales surpassed industry leader DC Comics, and the two have battled it out ever since. But these days, that same never-ending battle takes place on multiple fronts, including the silver screen. Before we get to that, however, there was a Marvel character that invaded movie theaters even before there was a Marvel. The commissioner's been alibying his failure to turn up anything in these purple death murders. You remember the commissioner and I have cleaned up crime waves in this town before. Yes, that mysterious Captain America did most of your work for you. I feel certain that this new crime wave will bring him out of hiding to help us. In 1944, Captain America debuted on the big screen in a short episodic film series called Serials that ran week to week in local movie theaters. The Captain America serial was a very, and I do mean very, loose adaptation of the character. There was no shield, no super soldier serum, no Nazis, and no Steve Rogers. This cap was an intrepid district attorney named Grant Gardner. 
In fact, the serial appears to have been written for another character entirely, most likely a lesser-known superhero called Mr. Scarlet. Even though the Captain America serial was considered by many to be the best of that genre, it would be another 40 years before a Marvel character made it to the big screen. He's like many of us, mired in the routine of upward mobility. But all that is about to change with an unexpected trip to a place called Cleveland. A romance with a girl named Beverly. He's my boyfriend! Radical. And an adventure beyond the imagination of the average duck. The duck's a lunatic! George Lucas presents Howard the Duck, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Yes, the notorious bomb that caused Marvel movies to migrate to the B-list, 1986's Howard the Duck was, pun absolutely intended, a truly foul film. Based on a relatively obscure character that was relevant a decade earlier, the sarcastic cigar-chomping waterfowl seemed like an odd choice to become Marvel's first big-budget film. Critics hated it, audiences were baffled by it, and it serves to this day as a perfect storm of bad decisions by otherwise talented people, including producer George Lucas. So, could anyone swoop in to save the superhero movie? I have given a name to my pain. What are you? I'm Batman. Get those wonderful toys. My life is really... In 1989, Warner Brothers' Batman, directed by Tim Burton, was a massive hit and broke box office records around the world. It also, during the 1990s, opened the floodgates for every movie studio to make their own superhero movies with characters ranging from the old to the obscure. The Shadow, The Phantom, The Crow, The Mask, Tank Girl, and Spawn, all comic book characters, were all released in the decade after Batman's unprecedented success. That's a lot of superheroes, just not Marvel superheroes. There were plans for Marvel movies, of course. In 1992, Avatar director James Cameron was all set to write and direct a Spider-Man movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio. But legal and financial issues ultimately killed the project. Wes Craven, writer and director of A Nightmare on Elm Street and the Scream movies, was once tapped to write and direct a Doctor Strange film. Speaking of strange, there was also talk of a Black Panther movie starring Wesley Snipes. That never happened, but by the end of the 1990s, Snipes got his chance to sink his teeth into another Marvel character. More on that later. The next Marvel hero to make it to the big screen didn't fare much better than poor old Howard the Duck. In fact, he didn't make it to the big screen in the United States at all. If society won't punish the guilty, he will. Now let me tell you something about this punisher. If he ever shows up within 1,000 yards of me, you'll find out what the word punished really means. He 
defends the innocent. But if you are guilty, he gives no warning and shows no mercy. What the hell is this? Trouble. Dolph Lundgren, Louis Gossett Jr. Mr. P, happy hunting! The Punisher. Justice with a vengeance. The same year DC's Batman was becoming a cultural phenomenon, Marvel's The Punisher, well, wasn't. The gritty vigilante, introduced in the comics in 1974, had grown in popularity during the 80s as a death-dealing anti-hero. The Punisher was Frank Castle, a Vietnam veteran whose family was gunned down after witnessing a mob hit. He began a one-man war on criminals, brutally dispatching his targets a clear departure from previous comic book heroes who refused to resort to killing. It seemed like the perfect property to adapt to film. No spandex costumes, no flashy powers. Just a guy in a skull t-shirt with a lot of guns. Easy, right? Well, this is Hollywood, remember? Nothing is ever that easy. Apparently, Marvel got skittish about having one of its characters being portrayed in a bloody R-rated action movie. They didn't allow star Dolph Lundgren to wear the Punisher's iconic skull t-shirt. On top of that, money issues plagued movie studio New World Pictures throughout the production. By the time the film was ready to be released in 1989, the company was unable to pay to get the film into theaters. In fact, the film wouldn't be able to punish viewers until 1991 when it was released direct to video. It's not a great movie by anyone's estimation. But it's not as bad as its reputation suggests. Marvel would make worse movies. A lot worse. It's easy to forget how difficult it is to capture the essence of a comic book character in a live-action motion picture. This is especially true of the star-spangled Avenger, Captain America. The 1940s serial had little to do with the actual character. But in the 1970s, two abysmal TV movies featuring another barely recognizable version of Cap, aired on CBS. Now that could fill an entire microcast on its own. Nothing, however, could top, or bottom in this case, the next attempt to bring Captain America to life. Where'd you get your guinea pig? It happens to be the best damn candidate out of 600 volunteers. A secret experiment gave one man the strength of a hundred. For the rest of the world, he's just codenamed Captain America. And the power to save millions. The Jerry's have an experimental rocket ready to fire at a target somewhere in the United States. Only he could defeat a superhuman madman. They got a fellow called the Red Skull heading up their outfit. But saving the world left him trapped in an icy grave until fate released him to finish a battle started decades ago. Ronnie Cox, Kim Gillingham, Scott Pollan as the Red Skull, and Matt Salinger as the Marvel Comics hero, Captain America. This version had all the necessary elements. Began during World War II, had the experiment that turned recruit Steve Rogers into a super soldier. It had the Red Skull. It had Cap going into the ice and being revived in modern times. 
However, much like The Punisher before it, this Captain America movie was a critical disaster, getting only a small direct-to-video release. Cheaply made and poorly directed, even the considerable talents of actors Ned Beatty and Ronnie Cox, who you may remember as a villain in both Robocop and Total Recall, couldn't save it. The good captain himself was played by newcomer Matt Salinger, whose father was Catcher in the Rye author J.D. Salinger. But once again, bad decisions and a lack of control over the production by Marvel led to disastrous results. But this failure, as bad as it was, paled in comparison to the unmitigated, catastrophic fiasco that was the Fantastic Four. From the pages of the world's greatest comic book adventure, four heroes on a daring mission in space, but something went wrong. Genetically transformed, they become the most powerful superheroes of all time. But the forces of evil are out to destroy their cosmic power. Find them! And to survive, they must utilize all their strength to put an end to their arch nemesis. Fantastic Four. A considerably less than Fantastic Four movie was made in 1993 for a grand total of one million dollars. Yeah, that's right. The entire movie cost a million bucks. That's less than the catering budget for Avengers Endgame. Why so cheap? Well, as one story goes, the movie was actually never supposed to be released at all. Now think about that for a second. A real honest-to-God movie with actors, director, special effects, music being made with no intent to ever release it. Why? Well, as with many things in Hollywood, it all boiled down to money. A German movie producer named Bernd Eichinger was able to obtain the rights to the Fantastic Four from Marvel in 1986 for a reported $250,000. The rights to make a Fantastic Four movie weren't perpetual. They had an expiration date, 1993. Producer Eichinger had a limited window of time to make a film or the rights would revert back to Marvel and he'd be out his quarter mil. He asked Marvel for an extension on the movie rights. They said no. Unable to find a movie studio willing to foot the bill to make the film, and with the clock running out, Eichinger decided to make the film himself, with the help of low-budget movie legend Roger Corman. The movie had to be made fast and on the cheap to meet the deadline. It was shot in three weeks and finished just before the rights would go back to Marvel. Trailers were produced, posters were made, and the release was scheduled for early 1994. But it never happened. The film was quietly buried. Eichinger kept the rights, and in 2005, he made another, this time, big-budget movie of the Fantastic Four. It had 10 times the budget and made over $300 million at the box office. Marvel considered the 1993 Fantastic Four movie an embarrassment. 
According to reports, Marvel acquired all copies of the film and destroyed them. But in the age of the internet, you can't keep a good, or in this case, bad, movie down. Copies began floating around on VHS, then DVD, and now you can experience it for yourself in its entirety on YouTube. The really frustrating part of it all is that if given a decent budget, it could have been a pretty good film. The script wasn't terrible. And with some fine tuning, and a director who knew what he was doing, it would have made the Fantastic Four a fine movie. Marvel's financial woes began to turn around after a slew of legal battles and a major corporate restructuring. A new division of the company, Marvel Studios, was formed to take a more active role in getting its characters onto the big screen the right way. It took 60 years and a lot of failed attempts, but in 1998, Marvel was finally able to produce a feature film that didn't suck. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. A secret nation of evil. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. A war to save our world. Played myself, killed as many of them as we can find. A hero who knows no fear. He makes the weapons. I use them. Wesley Snipes. Stephen Dorff. Blade. Rated R. Starts Friday, August 21st. After being unable to get his vision of Black Panther off the ground, Wesley Snipes finally got his day in the sun as the day-walking vampire Blade. If you were to ask the average person on the street to name some superheroes, you might hear Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, but not Blade. Like Howard the Duck, the vampire slash vampire hunter first appeared in Marvel Comics in the late 1970s. Like Howard, he was an obscure character that never made a huge splash in pop culture. But decidedly unlike Howard, Blade proved to be a huge hit for New Line Cinema. But not necessarily for Marvel. Their cut of the over $130 million box office was minuscule. The same held true for subsequent hit movies that Marvel made with other studios. A change is coming. Magneto believes that a war is brewing between mutants and the rest of humanity. And those we fear will be all that can save us. X-Men. After the first X-Men and Spider-Man movies became massive hits with equally big box office returns, the people at Marvel felt like they were missing out. These were Marvel characters, and yet the company wasn't reaping the monetary benefits they felt they deserved. Enter Merrill Lynch. Yes, the wealth management company. Marvel entered into a deal with the firm to loan Marvel over half a billion dollars. This vast amount of money was to be used to make Marvel movies by Marvel. They would hire the writers, producers, directors, crew, you name it. For the first time, Marvel Studios was in control of its own destiny. After the deal, Marvel announced its first independent production. If you're not willing to fight for something, you can't change anything. Yeah, I can fly. A man with a dozen of these could rule the world. I'm not gonna let that happen. You're gonna kill yourself. No shoot, no shoot! You owe me a plane, you know that, right? Technically, he hit me. Iron 
Iron Man, starring Robert Downey Jr., made more at the box office than Merrill Lynch had loaned them in the first place, a cool $585 million. The following year, in one of the biggest corporate deals in history, Marvel was acquired by the Walt Disney Corporation for the unimaginable sum of $4.3 billion. Since then, Marvel Studios has been getting bigger and bigger, with no signs of slowing down any time soon. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining me. Next time on the Deep Dive Podcast, Manda and I dive into movies that we love, but everyone else hates. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the Deep Dive Podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in the Deep Dive Microcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. The Deep Dive Lounge theme was arranged and performed by Robert Acorn, based on the original composition by Ryan Blaney. The Deep Dive Microcast is a production of Automaton Studios.